Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. Each week we look at the stock market and the things that make it go up and down. We look at financial legislation that can impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deep dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand the details. And finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll find a link at the bottom of the home screen. You can click that link and submit your question, then I'll get in contact with you to make sure that I have all the information that I need, and then we can structure an answer that'll be educational for the listeners and help them understand their money better too. So let's get started today, and I want to begin today's show talking about Martin Luther King Day. Because that's the day that I'm taping this show. I know that people listen to it throughout the week. So maybe you're hearing this on Martin Luther King Day and maybe you're hearing it later. But one of my favorite pieces of literature is the I Have a Dream speech. I think it's so powerful because it taps into many of our emotions. When you're looking at financial planning, most financial planning begins with a dream. Maybe you want to own a home. Maybe you want to retire. Maybe you want to help your kids go to college and not have to work as hard as you did. So this is your opportunity to create your dream. The problem is when you leave your financial ideas as simply dreams, they're not effective. You know, sometimes I have people tell me, I want to be rich. Well, you know, that's great. And on the surface, sounds like a good goal, right? I'd like to be rich too. The problem is, I don't know what that means. And what I'm afraid happens is the person who tells me that doesn't know what it means either. So if you have a financial goal of retiring early, The way you turn your dream, which is vague, I want to retire early, into a goal is by quantifying it. And I know that's not as much fun as just saying, yeah, I want to retire early. But the cool thing about turning it into numbers is once it's a number, you can actually take steps to get there. So rather than saying that you want to retire early, you should decide what age that is. You know, if you're thinking that normal retirement age is 65, maybe retiring early is 60. Maybe it's 62, so you could actually begin to receive your reduced Social Security benefits without the, without the penalty from having worked too much. But decide what the age is. Then figure out how much money you need each year in retirement to make it work. Now, this really isn't a retirement cash flow section, but I cannot help myself. 
I, I am crazy for cash flow. And I think that the way you make that retirement savings work is by looking at what you spend today. I mean, really looking hard at it. How much are you spending every single month on absolutely everything? Then you can take that and you can look at what would apply in retirement, what might not apply in retirement. You know, maybe your mortgage is paid off by the time you retire. That would be really awesome and it would be a big cash flow expense that goes away. Then you look at the expenses that you'll have in retirement that you don't have now. Healthcare being the biggest variable that most people have to account for. Once you get your number, then you talk to a certified financial planner practitioner, and it's pretty easy to figure out how to make it work. You figure out how much money you need to save every month. You make sure that your investment goals are realistic, that your rate of return assumptions match what you think you're going to make, and you know what you need to do. Sometimes this will make a financial dream look a little shadier when you try to figure out the numbers behind it. And that's okay because you can always make an adjustment. If you haven't been saving enough for retirement and you see what you need to do, it can be great motivation. Because you know, when, when the goal is vague, then the actions that you take to get there are vague as well. The more you can know exactly what you need to do, the more you're going to be willing to do it because nobody wants to save more money. You have to give something up. But if you're doing it for a reason, then giving it up doesn't matter as much. So the more you have short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals, and you know the numbers around all of it, the easier it is to make those dreams come true. And when you make those dreams come true, that really is financial planning at its absolute highest level. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update section of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And very recently, the SEC has provided some frequently asked questions about the actual implementation of their regulation best interest, or Reg BI, that I've talked about in several of my shows. And I'm going to go over a few of the points that they put out in their FAQs, and then I'm also going to post a link to the text, because I think it's important really that you read some of this for yourself, both in the database of the show, as well as on my podcast. So if you subscribe to Ask Peggy Doviak about your finances on either um, Apple iTunes or on CastBox, then you can actually get the link to this and look it up and read it for yourself. Basically, after reading this document, I was slightly more confused than I was before I started it. It did clarify a couple of things that I think it's important for you to know. And you should also be aware when you read this, it's very much written as though you are the financial services professional. 
It's not written as though you're a consumer with questions. It's written as though you're an advisor with questions. So when I'm talking about this, I'm going to translate it to what applies to you. When you read the document, realize you, you need to make that adjustment for yourself. So one of the components of Reg BI, Regulation Best Interest, is providing a summary of the engagement to a client before the advisor makes a recommendation. So you have to create a statement explaining how you believe that this is in the client's best interest and then give it to the client before you make a securities recommendation. This actually, and there's been a lot of screaming and people upset about this of, oh, it will impact the flow of my meeting. Well, here's the thing. If you're working with an advisor, they should be getting information from you before they start making recommendations, okay? Your risk tolerance, your circumstances, your situation will impact possibly not only what is purchased for you, but how it blends into your asset allocation. So adding a disclaimer, a disclosure given to you prior to the recommendations, I don't think is going to be as obvious as people are saying it. It makes me feel like people walk in, they sit down at the desk, and the advisor you know, just immediately starts firing off stock recommendations, which is not how financial planning ever works. And if it forces the industry into more of that role, my opinion is that is not a bad thing. So you should see a document that explains how this is in your best interest. And I think that's a great thing. I, I've been a little harsh about Reg BI, but I do like the idea of the disclosure. Now, some of the things that it talked about in clarification that I think make it more confusing, I was of the belief prior to reading these frequently asked questions that contests had been taken out of the um, advisor's toolkit so that you couldn't have a mutual fund that was offering a cruise to the advisor who sold the most. And so then, you know, that advisor is going to have an inclination to recommend that mutual fund over another similar fund, but the one that's not offering the cruise. I thought RegBI had done away with everything like that. And apparently it's done away with some of it, but it specifically says in the frequently asked questions that you can still have certain incentive programs. They just need to be handled carefully. So that tells me that there is still a way for the advisor to be and I really hate this word, but incentivized to make a recommendation that seems to be in, ex, in, in addition to any sort of fee or commission that they're getting. So I would suggest when you're talking to your financial advisor and that person is making a recommendation, ask them how they're benefiting from the trades. And it can kind of be a generic one-time question, and I'm guessing that you'll get a good answer there that will give you a sense as to whether or not it could be an issue. But I think you as the consumer have the right to know if the advisor is getting like, like a perk for making the recommendation. So that is an area that I do believe is a little bit more murky 
than I actually thought it was. Now, financial education does not fall under Reg BI, which means you don't have to have the written communication with the client. So in the radio show that you're listening to right now, I never make stock recommendations. And I always couch the advice with, you need to talk to your financial team and see if this makes sense because I'm giving you education about it. I'm not telling you specifically what you ought to go do. So whenever something's education, so when someone talks to you about like what's an IRA or when's the funding deadline or how much money can you put in, none of that is actually true financial advice. It's financial information. So when you're talking to someone and they're giving you general information like that, they may not have you sign a disclaimer because it's not really specifically something you're going to take and go buy something. Reg BI is absolutely focused on the purchasing and sale of securities and in any format. So, you know, retirement accounts or 401ks or plain old investment accounts, any kind, any flavor, they all fall under this. However, the last piece that I was really hoping would be in the clarifications that was not is what does best interest mean? And in the original rule that passed, they said specifically they weren't going to define it because they wanted to give advisors flexibility. A lot of our heads exploded when they said that. And there was a hope that maybe enough people would say, now wait, how do we implement a standard when you're not even telling us what it means? You know, we know it's not fiduciary because they're very specific of, oh no, this doesn't require you to be a fiduciary. We're not doing that to you. And it's higher than suitability, which was the old standard. But that's a really wide range. So we don't really exactly know. And these frequently asked questions are, again, vague when it comes right up to the question of, now just exactly what is this and why isn't it fiduciary? So as a consumer, that's still a question. That's a question I keep trying to get an answer to. And we keep trying to get the SEC to make this a little bit clearer, a little bit easier to understand so that you as the consumer know what kind of advice you're getting. Then you're free to choose any level of advice, any kind of relationship you want. You just should have the right of knowing what it is you've selected. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about Medicare. And I want to explain basically what Medicare is. I think you have some basic understanding of it, but I want to address some issues that I'm seeing on advertisements. And then I also want to talk about the importance of making a plan as to when you're going to take Medicare. So let's get started looking at what Medicare is. Medicare is insurance that is provided to you both through premiums that you've paid as well as then a basic guarantee of benefits that you're going to be able to get for those premiums you've paid. So Medicare Part A is 
insurance that you've already paid for through your working career, and as a result, when you turn 65 and you're eligible for Medicare Part A, then you don't have to pay any premiums. Now, Medicare A covers hospitalization, and a lot of other things. If I really wanted to make you guys snore during this show, I'd go over everything that every kind of Medicare covers. We really don't want to do that. But basically, Medicare Part A is hospitalization. Medicare Part B is requires a premium when you turn 65. So you don't get Part B for free. If you've paid into the system, um, Medicare A doesn't cost you anything, but B is a premium. The premiums are very reasonably priced, and I know they go up and people get irritated, but when you compare the cost of Medicare to the cost of private insurance, it's much, much cheaper. There is an income adjustment in how much premium you pay for Medicare Part B, and most of the time you just pay what you owe. However, if you've had an extraordinary circumstance, and this happens more often to people at age 65 than you might think, like you sell a business. Maybe you owned a small business your whole life. You're 65. You're able to sell your business. You get this huge amount of money in a year, and it throws your Medicare Part B premium much higher than it'll be in the subsequent years because you got the payment of your business as a lump sum. It is possible to contact Medicare and get that premium reduced back to the normal level when your income reduces back to its normal level. So if something has happened and you got just shot through the roof in your Medicare premium, but it was an extraordinary event, contact Medicare because you'll be able to fix that for the upcoming years and it'll work out really easily. Now, B is roughly physician costs. So A is hospitalization, B is physician costs, and many other things, and B is what you pay for. Medicare Part D is for prescription drugs, and D has a lot of wrinkles to it as well, including a donut hole where you don't get any benefit at all. But Medicare D is a payment that you make, and depending upon your other insurance, it might make sense to do it. So if you had a job and you had health insurance and they let you keep your health insurance once you go on to Medicare, what happens is Medicare becomes your primary and your former insurance becomes your secondary. So you always want to look at what that secondary insurance covers as you're deciding whether or not you need Medicare Part D. On top of that, there are Medicare supplement plans. Medicare supplement plans are basically taking the place of those people who are allowed to continue their insurance into retirement as secondary coverage. The difference is, is Medicare supplement plans only supplement the benefits that Medicare provides. So if you're needing to purchase something like hearing aids and Medicare doesn't pay for it, the Medicare supplement isn't going to pay for it either. The important thing about Medicare supplement plans to know is that the benefits of the Medicare supplement plans are set by the letter number of the plan. 
So it starts with A, it goes B, C, D, and um, it's, you have to go in and look because periodically they add letters in and they drop letters out. But all your Medicare supplement plans are identified by a letter. Do not get confused with your primary Medicare and your Medicare supplement plan because it is possible you have Medicare A and maybe you choose the A supplement. Now you have two A's. And if you're not really careful, you'll get confused with it. So be aware that it has the letters. Some of the letters may correspond to the letter in your primary Medicare. Every single provider of a Medicare supplement plan provides the same benefits for each lettered plan. So I don't care who the carrier is. Any Medicare supplement plan A is going to have exactly the same benefits. So when you're trying to make a decision, you want to look at the quality of the carrier and the premium when you're deciding who to choose. Because quite frankly, the benefits are identical. So you're shopping this one for quality and price. Now, there is also a Medicare Part C, and Medicare C is a hybrid plan, and so you have A and B and D and other things, and there can be private coverage that is taking this Medicare C role. You should also know that right now, these private coverage plans are getting a lot of incentive by way of cashback to try to get people to enroll in those plans to get them out of the Medicare system. So once it's a private plan, there's requirements as to how they have to handle things, but you're not in the Medicare system anymore. You need to know that. And I said we were going to talk about what you're seeing on TV right now. You're seeing ads for, oh, if you're 65, get, get this plan because it covers hearing aids. And you're like, wait, what? Medicare doesn't cover hearing aids. Peggy told me Medicare doesn't cover hearing aids. And it doesn't. It's a private plan that's allowed to do this from the best I've been able to put together. As long as the benefits are equivalent, then the private insurance companies can do this, but they can add extra things as well. So they might provide coverage for hearing aids. The danger of this is that you're no longer inside a system that has known walls around it. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, most of us go our entire lives on, on private insurance until we reach age 65. I'm not saying these are bad plans. I am saying that I think they're being advertised really deceptively because I just went to a seminar with only financial planners in the room, certified financial planners, and half of us were confused about what we were seeing on television. So if we're confused, I'm going to bet you're confused too. So what you do if you're thinking about this is just ask a ton of questions and maybe contact the Medicare office and go online and read their frequently asked questions before you make a final choice. I, I am not making a judgment. I see advantages both ways. I see disadvantages both ways. I just want you to know what you're buying. One final thing, if you turn 65 and you're still working or you're covered by health insurance that's from your spouse, 
you don't have to start paying your Medicare premiums then because you've got other coverage. However, if something were to happen and that coverage was dropped and you have a gap in coverage once you have reached the age of 65 or older, when you then go to enroll in Medicare, your premiums will be through the roof. Why? Because they don't want people self-selecting out. Remember that insurance at its heart and soul works because people are enrolled in it and they pay into it and they don't take as much benefit out as the money that they're putting in. If everybody's blowing out the system, insurance just cannot ever work. Doesn't matter what kind of insurance, doesn't matter the carrier. The function of, it, of insurance is the premiums are more than covering the costs. So if they let people just not get coverage at 65, you know, a lot of people are still in really good health at 65. They don't necessarily need a lot of health insurance. And sure enough, you know, if you gave people the option, they wouldn't take it. And then they didn't roll in it when they had to have it. Now, Medicare would get glutted with only sick people and the system would actually fail. You know, they talk about Medicare being underfunded. They talk about the issues. I believe that through legislation, a lot of that can be fixed. But if you let only sick people enroll in Medicare, that is an unsustainable system. So if you are working or if you're covered by your spouse and somehow you unexpectedly lose your job, get COBRA coverage immediately. COBRA is that temporary stopgap insurance that costs way too much that your employer offers, your spouse's employer offers. Keep that coverage going. If you are planning on retiring, if you're afraid there might be a gap in coverage, go ahead and get the Medicare a couple of months before you retire. Yes, it's a couple of months of premium, but the money that you've saved more than offsets this because you don't want the gap in coverage because it's absolutely unforgivable. If you make the mistake, you're stuck with the consequences and they're dire and I don't want it to happen to you. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's question comes from a young listener who says, Peggy, I don't really have a financial plan other than hoping I have more money at the end of the month than I have bills. Where's the best place to start? And I'd like to start out by saying I love young listeners because young listeners have time. And if they're motivated, it's so much easier to create a financial plan with time. So start looking at the money you're spending every month. Look at all of the money, just like when we were talking about the retirement segment earlier in the show. Then look at your income. If you have more income than expenses, that's great. It means you have a little extra cash. If you're absolutely breaking even, then you need to look at your expenses and see what you can cut by a bit. You know, maybe you can eat out less and cook a little bit more. That's usually the money that makes everything go crazy. Or invite your friends over rather than going out on a Saturday night. These things will give you money you can work with. Then if you have debt, you want to look at the interest rate of the debt and generally it's easiest to pay off the highest interest rate first. If you have some small bills that are making you crazy, it's fine. Just start tackling your debt. 
I'd also like to see you start saving even while you're doing this, and even if it's a really small amount every month. If you could put $50 back a month, at the end of the year, you'd have $600 saved. That's a lot of money, and it would be enough to cover an unexpected expense. Now, of course, that's not as much as your emergency fund needs to be, but it's a good place to start. So once you have some money in savings, once you have a plan to pay off your debt, if you have a retirement plan at work and it has a match, try to participate in the match, even if you use your raises to help you start doing this. It's a long road. I know retirement feels like millions of years away, but trust me, it will arrive faster than you think. And if you start creating a plan when you're young, the rewards will be fabulous. Wow. So here we are again at the end of the show. I can't believe how fast the week is going. I want you to remember to make your goals um, have concrete numbers attached to them. I want you to be careful about your Medicare, and I want you to pay off your debt. Have a great week. See you next time. Bye. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>